The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Brett King. Welcome back, 2011. This is the first show this year for the Boys of Tech. We're up to episode 98, and this is for Monday the 10th of January. My name is Edwin Herman. My co-host, Brett King, as usual, joins us over Skype. Welcome to the show, Brett. Howdy. So how was your Christmas? How was your New Year's? How was your break? It was good. Wasn't long enough. Should have been longer. Oh, never is long enough, is it? Indeed. I was thinking, you know, maybe... 50, 60 years would be good. <laughs> yeah, had me. Oh, yeah, I was, I was just sort of expecting, you know, five or six weeks and yeah, 50, 60 years. <laughs> a permanent holiday would, would be nice. It would be great to be paid to be on holiday. Oh, yeah. Well, no, look, you know, I, I think I would get bored after a while. Really? You know, I've, always said, you know, I've always said to people, if I win lotto, I really don't see me not working. I don't, oh, yeah, I don't but you'd be working, working on the, something that you wanted to work on, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, although I might still probably do something that I don't mind doing, working for someone else for, say, 20 hours a week or something. Just for the social aspect, you know, going to work. <laughs> oh, and, you true, know, all true. That. Otherwise, I'd just turn into a hermit or something. I don't know. <laughs> but that suits some people. Anyway, so, you know, down here, we have to remind people we're coming to you live from Wellington, New Zealand. And down here in the Southern Hemisphere, it is, of course, summer. So we do have a summer Christmas. And this is a time where everyone pretty much goes on holiday, takes a long break, you know, usually a, a week either side of Christmas and New Year's, sometimes more. And, uh, you know, you get out the barbecue and, you know, lying out on the, on the beach or on the on the deck or uh, in yeah, the park. Yeah, going camping. Camping, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, there you go. Did you go anywhere for your holidays? Uh, nowhere at all. Stayed entirely in the Wellington region. Uh, so did I. It was the first year we've done that. Uh, yeah. As a family. yeah we, we usually go somewhere, one of the grandparents. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this time we stayed uh, We stayed in Wellington. Tell you something I did over the break, though. I, uh, You may recall, actually just going back a little bit, to episode 91 of The Boys Attack, we talked to David Frampton, who had just, I think, completed Chopper 2, which is a, a game for the iPhone, iPad, and and now also for the Mac. And mm-hmm. uh, it's just come out, in fact, on the App Store for the Mac, which was released early this year. Last week, I think, in fact. And uh, I, I purchased it. So I now own uh, Chopper 2, as promised. I did tell him on the show, in fact. I actually said it on the show. I will get this when it comes out for the Mac, because I don't have an iPhone or an iPad. Yeah, that's that's what you've been doing for <laughs> hours and hours a day. Well, you know what? Tell you the truth, I haven't yet. I hope Dave is not listening, but I, I haven't yet played it. Because <gasps> I've just been so busy, so busy. With family, you know, family and stuff. Mm. So I haven't actually, yeah, I haven't played it yet. So David, if you're listening, I will get into that game at some point. I didn't buy it just for the, just to fulfill a promise. I, oh, exactly. I, actually, I actually want to play it, but I, I got to find the time. And you can give us a chopper, or a chopper two on Mac review. Yeah, well, I tell you what, actually, I, I need to mention this as well. It's only in New Zealand. It's a dollar twenty nine on the New Zealand store. I, I presume it's ninety nine cents in the US or something like that. It's for a limited time only, and then it, it goes back up to its original price, which is five times that. So uh, now's a good time to buy. 
yeah. if, you, if you want Chopper 2. In fact, it's the the other thing I noticed, by the way, on the Amp Store is that it's the top seller in its category, followed by Angry Birds and then uh, and then the oh, iPhoto, God, which I Angry find it hard Birds. to I I find it hard to believe that iPhoto is number three. Why'd you buy iPhoto? Yeah. I reckon the, the Apple are bumping up their things. But anyway, yeah, what's Angry Birds? What is it with Angry Birds? I don't know, but it's one everywhere. of my housemates is addicted to that game. <laughs> what is it actually even about? I, I don't even want to get into it because I'm, I'm not I sure. All I know is there's Angry Birds and apparently pigs, if I recall rightly. Angry pigs? No, no, no. You shoot the birds with pigs. Oh, okay. It's not one of those whack-a-mole ones, is it? No, no, no. It's it's a you no you slingshot. You use a slingshot and you slingshot these things which do different things. Like one will explode, one will be go straight ahead, and those sorts of things. And you either slingshot them or catapult them, and they've got to destroy all of these things. On oh, a level. yeah, I'm just doing a few screenshots. It looks like yeah. one of those catapult-type ones and you just destroy buildings and so on and things topple over. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. One of those you've sort got, to, of, you've yeah. got to destroy all of the creatures that are yep, running yep. around, so you've got to use the different abilities of the different... Yeah, it's a phys- physics-based game. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, each of the different things that you lob, are they... What are the things that you lob? You've seen the screenshots. Yeah, I'm just trying to see... I've only I, heard I, about this game. <laughs> I can't identify them. I'm just looking at them. They just look like little green blobs. Maybe they are meant to be pigs. I think they are pigs. In fact. Yeah, yeah, I, I think they're pigs. And each of the pig has a different ability. But they come in random order. So you have to, you, you know, my next pig is going to be an exploder. So you've got to think how you can best use it. I can kind of see how this is, uh, how this would be quite a uh, addictive game. Mm. My only comment about the new app store is that there is no home button on it. You can't, <laughs> well, at least I haven't found it. You can't go back home, which is really stupid. It's like, a browser not having a, or a, a website not having a home button. Oh, that's ridiculous. I know. So maybe I'm stupid and just haven't found it. If I, if that's the case, please do let me know. Leave a message at, uh, at our website, <laughs> boysatech.com. Just before we kick off the show, one thing also I noticed over the break was uh-huh. that on New Year's Day, there's been a new world record set for the number of Facebook photos uploaded. 700, get this, 750 million photos uploaded on the weekend, encompassing the first day of 2011. On that weekend. Does not surprise me. I've seen so many New Year's photos. <laughs> Does that's not a lot of, that's a lot of images. <laughs> that's, a, that's a heap. That's insane. <laughs> I mean, there's 500 million active users. So it's, you know, one and a half each, which is yep. a lot. I mean, because not everyone kind of uses it. I mean, like you take you, for example, you log on once in a while and, uh, you know, once a month or once every couple of months. I know a lot of people who do the same, who are very light users. Yep. So there must be some people there putting on huge albums of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I suppose, I mean, like you say, it makes sense. It's New Year's. That's what you do. So we'll get into the show. Brett, first story up this week is about a man who discovered four planets using nothing but a computer, and he doesn't even own a telescope. How does that work? (laughs) Well, as you just said, people put huge... No, amount of images online and one of those groups that puts huge amount of images online are universities and NASA's quite common for putting this sort of information online 
And that's what happened. Uh, the guy dragged down and analyzes information that is released uh, from the University of California's Lick Carnegie Planet search team. And he has run some stuff on his computers to search through that data to find planets. Yeah, the way he does it is that he looks at the trajectory of the little dots, if you like, on successive photos, and they should be a perfect ellipse. Mm-hmm. But if they're not, it indicates that uh, it's been, that there's a, like a wobble, if you like, in the orbit of something, that mm. there's a strong gravitational field, therefore more than likely a planet, if it's not a star that's already identified, uh, then it's more than likely a planet that's in, in the vicinity. And that's how he's identified four of these things. What I find fascinating, though, so he's obviously got, I presume he has an interest in astronomy, yet he doesn't even own a telescope. Yeah, yeah. I, I do find that to be quite weird. Yeah. If you have an interest in astronomy, I thought one of the first things you would do is get a telescope. So you yeah, can look at it in real too. time. Yeah, that's what I kind of would have thought. But there you go. You yeah. just uh, This goes to prove you can do astronomy without owning a telescope. Just grab some images and uh, you, make your own yeah, discoveries. You let somebody else take the photos for you, and then you have a look through all that that's, data. That's right. Absolutely. Well, the thing I noticed from this particular story is that they've gotten really boring in naming planets. Why? What are their names? Their names are HD 31253B, and then there's glorious HD 218566B. We've got HD 177830C, and followed up by HD 99492C. Of course, yes, that makes perfect sense. But I suppose with the volume that's been discovered in the last few decades, I mean, you know, there's, there's no choice. You kind of have to, to go with numbers. So anyway, that's that story. Want to also move on, Brett, to some robots in Korean schools, which is a kind of a cool story I, I came across last week. What are they using these robots for? Well, they're using them for teaching English is, is the main thing. And they've trialled them in, I think, in 23 schools. They want to get them across thousands of institutions career-wide. Uh, in the meantime, as I say, they've been trialling it in a number of, just a small number of schools. And what it is, it's a, it's, it's a little robot, it's a little sort of egg-shaped robot with a LCD display of a face. And, uh, that, and that face, yeah, that face is either a real life person remotely on a remote session or it's a CGI depending on, you know, how, how you want to use it. Mm-hmm. So they can actually have, the idea is to replace teachers, physical teachers with remote teachers and the, these can be often in, in, you know, lower paid areas such as uh, the Philippines. Really? Mm. Interesting. Why would they want to do that? Why would they want to do that? Well, I, Yeah, why would they want to attempt to replace an actual teacher? I don't know. Saving money? Saving? Well, that would be kind of odd when I'm pretty sure to pay to place a teacher somewhere doesn't cost $1.3 million. Because that's how much the, the robot that's costs. That's how much each of those little eggs cost. Yeah, but if they, let's say they do this in 10,000 institutions uh, nationwide, surely that $1.3 will jump down to, I don't know, 13000 or something. Possibly. It would definitely go down. I'm not sure if they would let it go down that much. The thing that baffles me is that I can't see this working in the school where I came from. Yeah, yeah. I really cannot see it working in any sort of... No, the kids are just ignore it and just muck around. Yeah. Because what's, I mean, what's the robot actually going to do? It can't really... 
pick you up by the scruff of the neck. Not that you're allowed to do that these days, but even if it, you know, if you if you were allowed to, yeah, how does well, it what's disappear? It gonna do? <laughs> yeah, how's it disappear? Ah, uh, maybe it's got uh, some sort of taser device built in. <laughs> yeah, a taser, maybe it throws lumps of chalk at you or something. I don't could know, do. or tennis balls. Uh, it, it could have a uh, an inbuilt Gatling chalk firing. Yeah, gun. <laughs> that would be that would be kind of cool. That so would be it flip a flips ro- its head and, there, and there's the, the angry teacher face on it and then it opens up an arm and there we have Gatling chalk fire again. <laughs> that would so be outlawed. It <laughs> would so not be allowed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we wouldn't know about it until it was too late and they had taken over the world. You know, I, I will- for one welcome our new robotic chalk firing overlords. <laughs> Maybe there's an aftermarket for these things, little additional optional add-ons or something. <laughs> Fight Club, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> perfect. Oh, we already uh, have robot wars. <laughs> well, yes. So, anyway, the interesting use of technology I thought on the story. What I haven't quite worked out yet is: is there an, an adult, a real life teacher in the room as well at the same time for you know, as we say, for discipline or? It'd have to be because there is no way, especially when you're talking about this as being in an elementary school and they're envisaging putting them in kindergartens, you know, to, to help teach English as a second language and and, uh, and those sorts of skills. You could not not have an actual teacher presence. That human presence at that young formative learning age is what helps children learn. Sticking them in front of a small, basically cute egg toy that trundles around doing things is only going to keep their interest for a certain amount of time. I'm going to go out on a limb here and suggest that I, I'd say that they're only going to employ this in certain uh, situations, particularly for teaching English, because one of the problems in Korea at the moment is attracting English teachers. Some of the remote places just can't get the teachers. Mm. Uh, well, and so- well, it's not one of the most glamorous places to, to go, is to go, oh, I'm going off to a, a brilliant foreign country to teach English and then you end up in some remote mountain village where you don't get to see anything. Yeah, although, I, look, what I will say, because I know a couple of people doing it, is the money is really good. The money is really good. So yeah, they get yeah. paid well. They get paid yeah. very well. They're and, very, and very well looked after as well. I'd actually be quite fine being stuck in t- a tiny little mountain village teaching people English. But not everyone <laughs> would be. So that's, yeah, that's what exactly, you're saying. Yeah, exactly. exactly. A lot of people don't want to leave their creature comforts even mm. when they're going off to a different country to teach English. I think it would be a marvellous adventure, mm. personally. Yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> I wouldn't do it with a family, maybe, in those remote areas. No, no, areas you wouldn't run I'd do it on my own. I'd do that, yeah. kids all around the place. Yeah, no, no. But I'd, I'd do it on my own, yeah. Yeah. Robots in schools. They've got their place, and they'd be a marvellous tool to use in teaching, but I don't think they'd ever replace, really replace a teacher. No, no, agree. At least uh, not in the uh, not in our lifetime, anyway. Mm. When we have robots that are indistinguishable from humans, then then we'll be fine. Yeah. Well, how do we know we don't? Uh, exactly. Ah, there you go. Uh, there is the ethical and moral discussion about once uh, computers or robots have become indistinguishable from humans, shouldn't we really just call them humans? Oh, yeah. No, too hard. No, I'm not going to make a call on that one. No. (laughs) (laughs) So what else has been happening in the week just been? I guess you may have seen the story, Brett, on the claim that someone has managed to get the PlayStation 3's root key. Yes, I have. And published it. Yep. It's out in the wild now. So if this claim is correct, what it means is that anybody with the use of that key, which is 
as I say, now published so everyone can get it, can compile software for the PlayStation and it will run. Yeah, because the PlayStation thinks it is official software. Because it's got the valid key. Yeah, because it's got a valid root key. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty big news and it's <laughs> there's not a hell of a lot Sony can do about it. No, well, you know what I think they're going to do is they're going to basically replace PlayStation 3 hardware with PlayStation 4. Everyone's going to want a PlayStation 4. And to, look, to be honest, when that happens, I mean, how, look, how many still PlayStation 2s are still kicking around actively? Actively Quite being a used? lot, actually. Do you think so? Yeah. Oh, I, think yeah. I think they're collecting dust. No, no, no. There's people still with their PlayStation 2s. I, for instance, I still have my PlayStation 2. I was going to ditch my PlayStation 2 for my PlayStation 3. But unfortunately, several drastic changes occurred in the PlayStation 3 hardware by the time it got to New Zealand. And we saw a lot of the features in the original PlayStation 3s were trimmed out. So the PlayStation 2, for instance, is actually a PlayStation 1 and a PlayStation 2 in together, which is why a PlayStation 2 can play PlayStation 1 games. It's actually got PlayStation 1 hardware in it. The PlayStation 3, when it was first released, properly first released in America and in Japan, it's contained within itself all of the PlayStation 3 hardware as well as PlayStation 2 hardware. So you could play PlayStation 3 games, PlayStation 2 games, and PlayStation 1 games on the one console. But they trimmed it when it first got released in New Zealand, and they trimmed out all of the hardware PlayStation 2 stuff from inside the PlayStation 3 and they put in software emulation and the software emulation was always dodgy it didn't do all of the games for the PlayStation 2 and so they had this big list which they generated of all the games and how compatible they were with the emulation on the PlayStation 3 and so a lot of people in countries who got its second or third generation PlayStation 3s kept their PlayStation 2s because <laughs> okay. it was the only way they were going to be able to play their PlayStation 2 games but do we do we want to play PlayStation 2 games anymore? I mean, aren't they... Yes. Really? <laughs> yeah, a lot of people like their PlayStation 2 games. <laughs> but aren't PlayStation 3 games just better? Yeah, but it doesn't mean you don't go back and play a PlayStation 2 game. Ah, uh, maybe I'm just not a and gamer. And they still release games for PlayStation uh, yeah. 2. I'm obviously not a gamer. I don't understand this. <laughs> it yes, makes no sense yes, to me. Yes. <laughs> you don't know how the, the console gaming stuff goes. No, no. That's why we have you on the show, Brad, as a gamer, because mm. you can cover that side. And I tell you, the PlayStation 4 is not going to be out for a little while. They're, yeah, the, but they're going to rush. The, I reckon this is my prediction. They're going to rush to get it out. the games that are coming out now for the PlayStation 3 are only now starting to push the limits of what the PlayStation 3 is actually physically hardware capable Oh, really? Of. Well, actually, they do make very good supercomputers. Yes. You wire them up. They're incredibly powerful things. We're only now starting to see over the you know, last year or so games which are actually starting to push that boundary of what is actually possible on the PlayStation 3. What's more powerful, an Xbox 360 or a PlayStation 3? PlayStation 3. Really? Yeah. I'm sure other people will argue at me for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Is this a bit like a, a Mac Windows? But hardware-wise, PlayStation Three is PlayStation Three is more power. Okay, more right. Because you can measure, you can measure hardware. You know, there's, yeah, there's, yeah. there's figures and oh, exactly. yeah, there's benchmarks. Yeah. The, the PlayStation right. Three is has the the more grunt. Right. Okay, but as we know, though, it all comes down to games. But everyone makes games for both platforms now. Is that right? No, there are still games which are console only. Oh, one really? Oh, okay. Yeah. You'll get certain IP which is only for a specific console. Oh, okay. And the consoles do as much as possible to keep those core 
IP on their console because those are big sellers for those consoles. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah, well, I suppose they would be, wouldn't they? So, you know, going back to this uh, this supposed key that's been leaked, has, is there any verification that this is the right key and that it works? I've seen nothing official uh, about it, but it's it's not the first development release of something which has compromised the latest firmware for PS3 homebrew developments. Fail Overflow released what, or promised to release a set of tools which they've started to do, some development tools which allow you to create homebrew which will work on your, your currently firmware PS3. But Geohots has, yeah, is the one to release this root key, but he hasn't released any tools for it. He's just released the key itself. So we're waiting for other people to develop tools or incorporate it into tools to yeah, see if it works, see what how it works and see the first stuff actually come out for it. Where I can see this playing a big role is people trying to get around the removal of the other OS option that Sony did not long ago. Remember they took out that option? Yeah, yeah. It was those changes they had made to their firmware incrementally removing previous features, which is what annoyed people the most. And with the release of the rootkey, it does allow people to reinstall Linux onto their systems or, or other OSs onto their systems and use them in other and other manners. As you were talking about, they are great when you cluster them together as a supercomputer. And with the removal of the other OS option from the latest firmware, you couldn't do that. Uh, now people can. So I bet Sony are kicking themselves because I suspect the fact that the key's been leaked was sort of accelerated, if you like, by the fact that people were looking to get around this other OS yeah, problem. People wanted to be able to still do all of the things that they did with their previous firmware, but still be able to play new games. Yeah, that so came Sony out. have kind of shot themselves in the foot. They, they really did shoot themselves in the foot by removing the other OS. I'm not sure why they did it. Maybe they were... Well, no one knows why they did it, and we're yeah. all baffled by it. We're, we're all wondering why they did it. Exactly. Like they haven't it's, said. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's not much they can do to fix this. No, but like I say, I, updates uh, yeah, but like yeah. I say, I think what they're going to do is just push new hardware and push it really hard. Yeah, that, That's what I think that. they're going to do. I will have to... We'll have to agree to disagree on that one. Uh, I think there's far too much commitment uh, currently into this hardware for them to suddenly drop it like a hot potato. Okay, well, what they might do, they might not drop it. They might still include it in the next iteration as either a a hardware module or a a software emulation component, but without with a different key, if you like, and push really pushing the 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 PlayStation Four hardware. That's what I think they'll do. I think what they will do is they will put their busy little bees heads together and find a way to do a firmware update which can do something which adds an extra layer of checking, of key checking to the the, the firmware. How's that going to affect existing games? Uh, well, I'm certain they've got something, some way of determining what a game is. The game must identify itself in some manner, and perhaps they will load up those ones. Oh, I see. So like a whitelist like of the existing games. Yeah, like yeah. a whitelist of existing games that can be used. Based and on a hash of some sort. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that, that would work. I could see that working. In fact, mm. I kind of like that idea. If I, was, if I was Sony, I would do just that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what well, I would do. They'll, they'll be yeah. putting their heads together. Because really all you need to do is change the key, but allow hashes of known games through without requiring that new key. Exactly. Yeah. Almost seems more logical than pushing new hardware. I don't know why I suggested that. <laughs> definitely cheaper. Yeah, definitely. And Brett, just to close the episode, just wanted to do a update on a story we covered, in fact, on the last episode of last year, mm. episode 97. 
Oh, the, the that was the really claim. interesting story. Yeah, it was our lead story, I think. It was uh, the claim that an OpenBSD developer had accepted money from the FBI to implement a backdoor in the IPsec code. There were huge implications here, you know, that for, for the last 10 years, this is 10 years ago. So the implications were that for 10 years now, the FBI is able to gain access to anything running OpenBSD and anything that's running IPsec code derived from OpenBSD. Now, the update of the story is that, well, it may not turn out to be the case. It yes. might just be, it might be a false claim that mm-hmm. apparently people it's, have poured through the code. Yeah, and it's, they, we, we, they really haven't found anything of interest. Well, they have. They've definitely found stuff of interest. They found several bugs, which have been in there for a while. Oh, yeah, they found some bugs, actually. Yeah, that's true. They found some bugs when they they were looking. They found some bugs, which have existed for a while, which could possibly have been used for security breaches. But nothing which would... Yeah, no no backdoor and nothing which would implicate that any of the security bugs that they have found were intentional. No, and people have been denying it. In fact, as soon as... uh, Well, not long after this claim came out, there were a couple of emails circulated from from people who, who were on the OpenBSD development team, and they strongly denied it. But, of course, at the time, you don't know what to read into that, because surely if you accepted money from the FBI to put a back door and you... You'd, you would strongly you, deny you, it. I'd deny it. <laughs> would, wouldn't you? Isn't yes. that the whole point of the way the, the FBI operates? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's you're your hush money. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So, but, you know, as I say, now people have apparently looked through the code and the code, this is the thing, with uh, the great thing about open source is that the code is always there to investigate. So anyone yes. with the know-how can actually go there and, uh, and investigate it. And I, look, I think if there was a backdoor, people would have found it because right, since the story broke, I'm sure people would have been going through that just to see if they can find it. Yeah, yeah, because if you were one of the first people to find the back door, kudos, just think, yeah, just think, well, not only the kudos of it, but when you think of the people who go out and do this sort of stuff, there's generally some kind of ulterior motive for compromising a system. So all of those hackers out there who would want to get access to different people's systems would have been off like a shot trying to find the back door because if you were the first malicious group to find it, just think of the things you could have done. Oh, I see. So they, they can exploit it. I see what you're saying, yeah. Exactly. So, so there's that side as well. Yeah. yeah, but door. then they wouldn't tell you about it, though. That's the thing. You would never find out about that. Oh, you would definitely find out about it pretty quickly. Do you think so? Yeah. If a hacker they actually would use found it, it, they would use it massively as yeah, fast as they know. That's the whole point. It. You'd be a part of a botnet or something. Well, I mean, why else would they use it? I mean, you wouldn't know. If you're a person running OpenBSD, I would assume you would be at a certain level of... Computer savvy, let's say. That would mean that your computer would not have been part of a botnet. Yeah, but how would you know? How would would you know know if you've got the back door? Uh, Sure, you won't be getting viruses and you won't fall victim to phishing emails. It's called traffic. But (laughs) you you notice it's jumping in traffic. Yeah, but some of these people doing such high volumes anyway. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I don't know. But in any event, I think we can lay the matter to rest because we're pretty certain, aren't we, Brett, that there is no back door. Yep. But it does just go to show you that if you're going to be using something and trusting something as being incredibly secure, one of the great things about the open source versions for that is you can go through it yourself to determine whether or not you want to use it, whether or not it meets the level of secure that you want it to be before you run it. But you always have to take that hand in hand with running anything in a secure environment. That is one of the plus sides of open source. But the downside is, of course, in reality, how many people actually, A, have the know-how to go through the code, and B, 
actually bother to do so. Well, the, the, num- the, the number isn't that great. And that is actually one of the downsides of open source. The, the, the very thing that people proclaim about it is actually, in practice, not really that much of a protection but you mechanism. You never guarantee that the proprietary thing that you've purchased to run, which claims to be secure, is either. Because who's to say somebody within that organization's well, that software development wasn't paid by a government entity to put in a backdoor. Well, that is true. I mean, exactly. And that goes back to that first argument of, well, at least you can look at the code. Exactly. Uh, but as I say, that's, I mean, we're going around in circles because that gets balanced with, but how many people actually do? Yeah, <laughs> it's a very circular <laughs> argument. It is. It is a very circular thing. Fact, we could do the rest. We can do another half hour on that if you want. <laughs> but we won't. We won't keep our listeners no. <laughs> yeah, listening us to rattle on in arguments that just go round and round in circles. No, no. <laughs> we did that enough in the first 97 episodes. Anyway, Brett, I want to thank you very much for co-hosting the show with me. It's been great doing the last two years and now kicking off our third year. Mm-hmm. Always a pleasure, Ed. And we also want to welcome back our regular listeners. Some of them have been listening right from episode one, so welcome back to 2011. Mm-hmm. Okay, Brett, that's it. That's the episode 98 for the Boys of Tech for Monday, the 10th of January, 2011. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.